So I'm a big fan of transparency across all aspects of life. Like generally speaking, there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't rather be told straight up. But specifically when I'm buying something or paying for a service, I just wanna know what I'm getting myself into. And oftentimes there can be so much nonsense or so much yada yada. For example, sneaky terms hidden in the fine print of contracts or bills that randomly go up without properly alerting you or budget airlines with cheap fares, but then exorbitant fees to make up for it elsewhere. And we just should not need to be dealing with this type of yada yada in our lives. And yes, you could read every single word of every single contract and that's one way of avoiding it. Or you can go with a trusted brand like Metro by T-Mobile that helps you to get ahead and not pull you back. That's right. You don't take yada yada from life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and not a yada yada, which honestly gives so much peace of mind. Like you shouldn't have to compromise for an okay option with sacrifices when you really deserve that full transparency. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Julie. And welcome back to another episode. Hey, Jewel. Hi, Em. You guys, we knew we could not do this one alone. We had to bring in the big guns. And that's why we are here with co-founder and chief creative officer of Betches, host of the Morning Announcements podcast, White Lotus enthusiast and overall brilliant TV commentator, Sammy Sage. Hello. Hello. I am like when you asked me to come on here, I was like, okay, I now I know I have credibility. Like I am honored. (laughs) I mean, first of all, I love listening to you. I am when when Beverly Hills is on, like you're one of my first Bravo recap listens. So wow. I am just like honestly honored to be discussing my favorite topic here with you. First of all, you were the only person for the job. And also it feels very full circle because you really were the one that gave us a start to podcasting. And we always have that gratitude for you for forever. And so it just feels really cool to be here with you right now. I mean, I love it. I love I love watching you guys succeed and like keep building your brand. It's just it makes me really happy. And I am I'm thrilled about it. This is these are like the moments when I'm like, I do love working in media. Not that I've really ever questioned that. I wouldn't work anywhere else, but these are the moments that make it really fun. We feel the exact same way. Completely. So we honestly just want to hit the ground running here because there is so much to get into. And I know we have limited time with you. So our thought was almost to start in a way that may feel a little bit backwards. But after episode six, your death predictions were Cam, Jack, and Lucia. So the question really is, and obviously we'll go from there, do those still stand? And if so, why? Okay. Cam is the one who I've like most consistently always been in my in my death predictions. So he's staying. And part of the reason is Daphne's first scene. Like she's, I've gone back and watched that. And I just really feel that he's dead in that scene. Like, and I don't know if it's his body that she finds. A lot of people say she runs up to him on the beach. I don't think so. I think that is a different random Italian man. So I think he is definitely dead. I don't know if that's the body she finds, but I feel that she was like saying how she's super into like true crime. I think she was trying to like establish a certain vibe of someone who didn't kill their husband or has no idea that their husband's dead in that first scene. So that's him. I still think Lucia and Jack Lucia. I'm, I I feel second most strongly about that. Either she or Mia will die, but I think it's going to be her. And I think that a lot, I think there's possibly going to be like a mistaken identity situation between her and Harper and part of the reason I think that is that I get a lot of my, my thoughts from like external clues, like things I'll read in variety or I'll read like interviews with people. Aubrey Plaza posted a, an Instagram with her hair like blonde and seemed to allude to the fact that it might have something to do with the white lotus. So I'm wondering if her hair color plays into a plot line and the overlap between like Ethan Cameron the two of them and her. So she's like still one of my top suspects. Then Jack, I I think there has to be a death in the Tanya, Quentin, Jack crew. And Jack seems like the most obvious casualty. I think maybe like a death intended for Portia will happen to him. But then I also think in the past few days, I've, de- I've like sort of developed uh, – two more like pretty strong predictions. And one is that Greg is actually trying to screw over not only Tanya, but also Quentin. 
Quentin thinks that they're like in cahoots, but I think Greg is probably just going to turn around and be like, fuck you and your villa maintenance. Like, I don't, I don't want anything to do with this. And so then I wonder like maybe Quentin will be the one who dies. So those are kind of the things I'm thinking right now. Have you ruled out Tanya? Because it feels like the obvious choice is to say the Quentin Greg situation there is going to clearly result in Tanya's death. I ruled out Tanya because of like, A, the symbolism with the Madam Butterfly thing. Like, yeah, that seems like she should she should be the one to commit suicide. And also the tarot card reader said something like, this will drive you to suicide. But this is one of those examples where I get something from like the external practical world where Mike White built this show, I think reportedly around Jennifer Coolidge and their friends. And I think she's kind of going to be the thread. Maybe she'll work her way up to the next loyalty program level in the next season. So I think she is going to maybe, if there is a third season, and I do believe it got renewed, I think she will stay for that reason. See, I was thinking that too. And I was curious if it was going to be a thing where she continues to thread through the seasons or if they were going to do a situation where like, okay, whoever the fan favorite is gets carried in. So like next season, it'll be like Aubrey Plaza's character kind of on her own, maybe navigating like single life, for example. I mean, I'm not, I like, I think that would be really great if he did do that. But again, this is all just based on things I've like read that they're, that they're friends and that he built it with Jennifer Coolidge in mind. But again, that could also just be sort of like, maybe they want to have misdirection and he is willing to do it without her. But honestly, I'm not sure. Who do you guys think is going to, is, is, uh, who are you leaning towards in your death predictions? Also, your who will be the killer or killers? The only one I felt sure about, and who knows, I could totally be wrong, is Cam, just because it seemed the most inevitable to me. And maybe a little bit of that is a bias at play because I really cannot stand the guy. Although I am a little bit conflicted in my head because it's like, wow, I would absolutely love to sleep with you, Theo James, but also I kind of fucking hate you, you know? That's kind of the Harper view of things. Like he... Although I don't even know if she really finds him attractive. I kind of don't think she does. I think she, the vibe I get from her relating to him is like a superiority where she knows that she can fuck with him and be kind of fake nice. But ultimately in the end of the, at the end of the day, she knows so consciously who he is that I can't ever see her like being interested in him at all. It's almost funny to me. There's a part of me that can't believe Harper is interested in men in general. She just seems so um, like above the male species is the best way I can put it. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. But maybe she just needs like a higher caliber guy. But yeah. Actually, this is this is bringing us to one of my next thoughts that has like really crystallized for me over the past few days. So and I even started like, oh, God, I, got, I went into like a hole to like try to prove this belief to myself. Uh, and I'll tell you. So basically... The question is, like, what's up with Ethan? Like, why is he so unattracted or just, like, not interested in having sex with his wife? And at first I was like, okay, like, maybe he's gay. Like, maybe something happened with Cam in the past that, like, why would he even agree to go on this vacation? That question still remains to me. But now I'm like, maybe he's going to come out as asexual. And I think that that would be, like, a really interesting angle. I think that would be something that has not been explored on any shows that I've watched. And I just don't, it seems like something that might be like an interesting way that the two of them, like an an issue that the two of them will have to deal with that won't feel like such an obvious trope. And a lot of people have pointed out to me like, but he was watching heterosexual porn or like whatever, or he's jerking off. And So I started like literally researching like asexuality and like what people – I went into like asexuality Reddit. When you go in a real community, you get a sense of it. Totally. And it just seems like that is not consequential to whether or not he actually is asexual. So it's like I believe that those things are not making this impossible. So that's kind of now my thing that I've like latched on to. Well, it's interesting also with the porn aspect of it because I think that overall such a huge theme in in this season is sex work. And so I feel like that's also whether 
that's his sexuality, whether he's asexual, whether it's just that he's not attracted to Aubrey Plaza, clearly sex work plays a huge role in this. And I feel like there's also something that could come out with him where he's just not attracted to having like sex with women in general, like in real life, but like it's more of a porn addiction type thing. Yeah. I mean, I think that's something like, I I feel that it's going to be something like that where it's capturing a type of person or like sexuality or sexual experience that is not like one of the the obvious categories. Right. Because it is like a pretty heteronormative show up until the Mia Valentina thing. That was so good, which by the way, in your Substack, when you're talking about them making out on the bed and how one of Valentina's shoes fell off and you're wondering if, you know, maybe that's representative of quote, waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like that right there is why we were having you on this podcast because I could watch that scene 10 times over and there's no world in which that would ever be my takeaway. But yeah, I mean, I loved that scene. Like, yes, I realized that a lot of this is persuasive in nature in order for me to get this singing job or whatever it is. But we are seeing an entirely new side of Valentina's character that we have not seen up until this point. Totally. What did you think about the employment uh, violation of all of that? Because last, because you know how like last season was Armand, you know, and he does all this like stuff to the guy. As a the manager of the hotel, he starts like having a lot of like weird violations. I feel like they haven't even really explored Valentina that much. Like the actress is able to accomplish a lot through her very limited scenes but the the fact that like that theme of the hotel manager sort of like behaving badly i feel like that has not been a major point of conversation but ultimately like she basically like exchanged a sexual favor like from the perspective of like you know think about it from that external perspective valentina exchanged a sexual favor for a job as the piano player and gave the master key to the hotel to someone who she is like acknowledged publicly as a sex worker in her hotel. So like, what's going to happen with that? And then people are going to die. Well, what I think is so interesting is because I think that theme relays back to when Bert was saying to his son and and Albie about like women are just as bad as us. Like they kind of want the same things. Like I feel like that's very much following the same theme. I also think that that master key is going to play a much larger role than just like their scene together. Totally. I feel like that has to maybe, that will maybe be like the source of the maybe mistaken identity with Harper and Lucia because they're still trying to get money from Cam. And there's the question of like which room is... Ethan's versus Cam's. Like, I don't know how much they know about that. But but with the Valentina thing, it's like last season, everyone was like so appalled by Armand, like off the bat. But here, it's so interesting that you see this, like people feel badly because she's this like non-threatening, lonely lesbian. But when you think about it, like she's really a big asshole to her employees too. Like she moves this guy because she wants to hook up with his fiance without her knowing, obviously. But it's kind of wild. Well, the entire thing is just like, you know, of course, a massive HR violation. I think that the reason that I am at least able to have a little bit of, maybe we want to call it sympathy to Valentina's character is because like everything else leading up to that, she just feels so miserable and, and feels like, you know, such a stickler. And it feels like the first time where she's able to kind of let go. And I think like maybe I'm personalizing that of like, I just want everyone <laughs> that I care about orgasm. to be able to, right? Like have an orgasm. Taste. So of course it's like in the most non-kosher, fucked up, violating way. Of course I don't condone it, but watching it as a TV show, I'm like, I kind of get it. I'm kind of happy for her. Oh, totally. I have a lot of sympathy for her as a character. I'm more sp- speaking about the audience reaction. You know what it kind of feels like? Like, you know, when people say like, I support women's rights, but more importantly, I support women's wrongs. Like that's the whole yeah. vibe I get. And even with Aubrey Plaza's character, she is so clearly obviously fucking with Ethan and driving him crazy. Like my belief is that her and Cam didn't actually hook up. I, I think that you said you, you feel the same way. I don't know how other people feel, but she's so overly aware of the power that she has in the situation and what she's doing to both of them and how she's playing it. Like even with finding the condom and waiting a full episode and then leaving it out for him, like it's all part of this master plan that she has. And obviously like this season 
Aubrey Plaza is our number one. Like we have all rallied around her. So I feel like it's that general vibe of like, you know what? Women supporting women here. Yeah. I think it's interesting because actually when you think about the like smartest, most savvy characters, it's Harper, Daphne, and probably Lucia. And honestly, like maybe we'll find out that Tanya is pretty savvy because I know she plays kind of dumb or, you know, loopy. And we, we could talk about that too. But I think she, I think we may learn that she knows what was going on the whole time. Like she was talking about getting the marriage annulled before they went to Palermo. That was like, and she says, even in when she first yells at Greg in that conversation, like, I feel like you don't like me and I feel like you don't respect me and I know what you're doing. And so it's like, maybe she has these like moments of like being totally out of it, but she also has like moments of extreme clarity. So where, I don't know, it feels like the men in the show, like all sort of are so myopic and stuck in their own little ways. Maybe that's kind of the point Daphne was making when she was like, men are all out there like wandering alone and not really like relating to the people closest to them. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. There's just so many interesting points. Like every line has a, was there for a reason. So Mother's Day is coming up and I know sometimes it can be difficult figuring out what to get your mom because Realistically, no gift is going to do justice for how much you love and appreciate her. But I'm sure you've done the classic, you know, bathrobe, candle, sweaters, gift cards. If you're looking to mix it up, I want to tell you about Aura Frames. So they were named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter. And it's just the kind of gift that is guaranteed to bring joy because realistically, there's nothing our parents love more than seeing us. So for them to be able to see more of us, even if you don't live close by, like that is probably the best gift you could give a parent. They're Wi-Fi connected. They come with unlimited storage. So you can share as many photos as you want from your phone to your mom's frame. And it's easy to set up. It takes about two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. We have one in my kitchen. And every time my dad comes down for breakfast, like it just makes him so happy. There's pictures of me, pictures of me and my parents when I was little, pictures of my grandparents. Like I think as a parent, you never get sick of that. And it's just the kind of gift I know she will love. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code CBC at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Have you ever noticed how celebrities have brighter, whiter-looking eyes? Their makeup artists have a little secret in their kit. Lumify Redness Reliever Eye Drops. Lumify dramatically reduces redness in just one minute. It literally happens right before your eyes to help them look brighter, whiter, and more awake for up to eight hours. No wonder it's so loved by influencers, celebrities, and makeup artists, and has over 6,000 five-star reviews on Amazon. Lumify is also the number one eye doctor recommended redness reliever eye drop, and it's FDA approved. No bleach, no dyes, plus it's made by the eye care experts at Bausch & Lomb. So whether you're on set, on a date, or running on just a few hours of sleep, you can have eyes that look brighter and whiter with Lumify Eye Drops. When you try it, you'll see that it's what your eyes have been looking for. Check out LumifyEyes.com to learn more. I was going to ask what you think about, um, just on the Tanya question, what do you think about that photo and her not reacting immediately? Okay. Obviously, the cowboy reveal, I think, was a huge, like probably one of the biggest revelations of the show, while also being kind of predicted. Like, I felt like it was this very weird moment where everyone who watched, who had that theory, it was so far out there. And we kind of just said it to say. And then all of a sudden we're like, why are we right right now? Like, why are they doing like, why are they giving us this gift? My my question with it was like, it seemed like she was both fully reacting and then completely not reacting at the same time. And I think that plays into also like the is she this dumb character that we think she is or does she actually have these moments of fully knowing what's going on and how she's going to play it? So kind of similar with, with Harper and the condom where it's like a delayed reaction because she's planning her next move. I wonder if that's how it's going to play out. Yeah. I also feel like her reaction was similar to when he said his first love or only love was a cowboy in Wyoming. Like she made this face like, huh? And then when she saw the picture, she also sort of made that same expression. I wonder if she like suspects but isn't sure because we like another thing to think about when analyzing these shows is like it probably seems like, oh, my gosh, like where do you pull these theories from? The truth is that it's actually pretty easy to analyze when you think about like 
within the narrative writing, like there's only so many options available to the writer of a show because you can't like reach outside the world of a show. Same thing for a book. Like if you have a murderer in a book, it's not going to be like an unintroduced character who suddenly like murdered somebody at the end. Like there's only so many options within like the cinematic world. So if you like kind of work within the walls of that, you kind of know like, oh, it has to tie in to something here, not like something totally random, most likely. So with the, when he says the the cowboy in Wyoming, we're obviously all supposed to think Greg. We're all supposed to be questioning Greg because it's like sketchy what he did with the macaroons. It's sketchy that he's like, thinks he's going to Denver and coming back in two days. Like that's not possible. So we're all like, as the audience, those are like supposed to set us up for suspicion against Greg. Then- we're set up to basically like hear Cowboy in Wyoming and it's like, oh, is that Greg? And then we as the audience are seeing this picture and we're like looking for it to be Greg. But she, as Tanya, is like meeting this random man in Palermo and looking at a picture of a guy. And she didn't know Greg when he was like young. So I I don't, I, I feel like she might suspect it, but... I don't know, like maybe it's hard to for her to like come to that conclusion in the show because it's so paranoid sounding. Well, I mean, she was also not playing with, you know, 52 cards that that night. She was a little bit fucked up <laughs> from the e- from the evening. So I don't know how, how she would have, uh, you know, approached that photo with a totally sober mind. I also think, though, the way that she didn't have this over the top reaction, at least from what we saw, is like, to me, at least almost indicative of that. I do think she's a lot sharper than maybe we initially gave her credit for. I think she knows a lot more of what's going on. And so to me, that was almost a representation of that slightly. Right. Well, she even says to Portia literally that morning, like when you're lost, you'll end up in all these crazy places, but you'll still be you. And anyone who can come to that conclusion is not that stupid. How much of do you think her actions or the you know the way that she interacts is maybe at all influenced by like this need for male validation? Because on one hand, it's like here she is, the woman with all of the money, you know, she can call the shots, she has it all. Yet at the same time, she really craves that. And obviously, even with this, you know, night with this handsome Italian man, when she says, like, I'm so nervous, I think there's still that part of her that wants to be perceived in almost the non-powerful role, because in so many other aspects of her life she is. So I went back and I watched from the first season the episode where she meets Greg because I wanted to like see what was happening there. And in that episode is the same one where she throws her mother's ashes or it's like around then. Like it's the boat episode. Yeah. Yeah. The boat episode. And I like forgot how jarring that scene was. She was like crying yeah, to your your question to answer your question, yes, fully driven by like the need for male validation, deep parental issues. And I think Portia says in an earlier episode like her father probably like harassed her. So, 100%. Well, I think that also is a huge piece of the does Tanya have it all together or does she not where it's like I think my like my view of her character is that it's almost like every single time she's so close to putting it together and then that aspect of male validation or or wanting a man in her life or what a man is going to do for her overrides what she knows to be right or what she knows to raise flags for her. And it's this constant back and forth between like, am I, should I trust my instinct here? Do I know exactly what it is? It, you know, it's, it, it's less of like, should I? And more like, I know exactly what to do. And then I get so close and then I fuck it up every time. Yeah, that's so true. It's like almost this like tragedy of of like good intentions. But also something that I was thinking about Tanya is like, I don't think any of us, if Tanya weren't positioned within the show as like a vulnerable, almost like a victim, she would be like a cam. Like we would have no sympathy for her if she weren't, like being taken advantage of in the show, which I think is like also a really interesting piece because how much we like or feel empathy or sympathy for these people comes with like the situation they're in rather than like who they are. And Tanya has not shown herself to be like a generous 
or in any way selfless person. And I wonder, like, are we and yet we're meant to like fully root for her. So I don't know. I wonder, like, if that what you just said, like her inability to sort of like carry her, you know, instincts to fruition, if that will kind of get in the way at the end. Doing your hair has the potential to be such a time-consuming process if you're not using products that really work for you and honestly really work with you. And for me, I'd say generally speaking, my hair is pretty easy to manage, but it does get frizzy. I have a lot of split ends. So I'm always looking for things to manage the frizz. And recently I've been into a new product from Way. It's their anti-frizz cream. So it's a really lightweight cream. It provides immediate frizz control that lasts up to 72 hours and also heat protection up to 450 degrees. You're kind of killing two birds with one stone. And the thing I really like about it is that it helps reduce and repair split ends while quenching dry hair with intense hydration. So you can feel like it just feels good on your hair. For me, I get out of the shower. I always spray in the leave-in conditioner. I've told you guys about that before, but I love it. A little anti-frizz cream and you're good to go. I also, I mean, I love a lot of things from Way, but I like their detox shampoo. I don't use that every week, maybe once a week, maybe once every other week, but I feel like it gives my hair a really, really good clean. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter promo code CELEBS for 15% off any product. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code CELEBS. 50 high school senior girls descend on Mobile, Alabama every summer to compete for a massive cash prize. It isn't Survivor. It's one of America's most lucrative scholarship competitions for teen girls. It's been around for seven decades. Now you'll hear what took place behind the scenes. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery comes the competition. Host Shima Oliai was Nevada's contestant 20 years ago. Now she's returning as a judge to find out what two weeks with 50 of the country's most ambitious teens can tell us about girlhood in America. What happens when the competitors are thrown into the deep end with the best and brightest? And how does surviving the competition prepare them for everything that comes after? Follow the competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of the competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. I need to talk about Daphne and Cam for a moment. Oh, my. <laughs> like, too. The question that I want to ask is like, is it possible that this kind of just works for them? Is it possible that this kind of dynamic, even though it is so clearly flawed with red flags all over the place, and I think Daphne may know a lot more than maybe she's leading on, like, is that maybe just okay for them? You know, it's so interesting because I like this, their relationship has really actually opened my eyes. I mean, assuming it's written true to somebody has opened my eyes into like, you know, maybe sometimes like we just can't understand what works for some people. And I think it's purposefully written that they're like, they appear to be so blissful and happy and like not just faking it. Like they actually do feel blissful and happy. What Harper, I think, is like catching when she says they're faking is that there's other things going on that like belie this happiness and whatever. Like you're saying, it works for them. And that was a a big question that I put in the recap was like, just because like Ethan and Harper state honest facts to each other, are they more like honest with each other about like the reality? And is there more love between them? I don't know. That's that's what's really like kind of opened my eyes, not just in the show, like in general, like everyone kind of has their own shit. What I think is really interesting is the way that Cam and Ethan's characters have almost flipped in our minds, where when we first obviously started watching the show, it was like, okay, obviously Ethan and Harper are going to be the normal ones. We're going to be rooting for them for their marriage because they're almost the voice of reason here. They watch the news. They vote. They know how crazy it is that their privileged friends don't. Like, they're very aware of the situation they're in. And Cam and Daphne have this, like, very just, like, in their own little bubble. And as the show goes on, not only do the relationship, like, in the marriage kind of change in terms of, like, good versus bad or works versus doesn't work, but also it's almost like, Cam, you can just take him for what he is and like appreciate that that's just who he is. He's just this white, privileged, rich male who lives his life in this way. But Ethan, who's supposed to be like the the voice of reason and balances Cam out, is almost becoming that like privileged male who can't deal with the fact that 
His wife maybe cheated on him, even though he did something that gave her no reason to believe that he didn't cheat. And it's that it's that switch there where it's almost like it's almost like you you're tricked into like, are Cam and Daphne the ones that actually just they're actually just happy. Like they actually have just figured it out. And it's the rest of everybody else who's going to burn around them. Well, I feel what we have with Cam and Daphne is like a Lisa Rinna own it situation. Like they own it. That's the thing is like and that actually like makes all the difference. I have a question for both of you, and I feel that I've been talking about this with a lot of different people, just like just almost everyone I talk to, like kind of on the side about it. Do you relate to Harper at all or do you relate to Harper, period? Personally, no, I, I don't. I was going to say Emma, definitely not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Emma, no, um, <laughs> I think there are certain aspects. Yes, she's also such a, like an a, exaggerated character, but I do think the way that she plays things like if if we're talking about like just her intellect alone in terms of knowing how to work a situation to get the most out of it that's the the part of her that I think that like can be the related to so the reason I asked is because anytime I'll sort of like be talking to friends about this they'll all like a lot of people have said I really relate to Harper on xyz thing like not wanting to be fake nice to people who are like not really their friends and who that you think is or you know is an asshole And that's kind of been, it it was just interesting to me that so many people have said that to me, whereas like no one said it about any other character. And I don't think it's the people are like, oh, I want to be Harper. It's more like, yeah, I could see myself in that situation acting like she's acting when my husband is kind of like gaslighting me into like being friends with these like shitty people that like you don't even understand why he likes them. And that's a kind of dynamic that I feel like I've seen people be like, I could see myself acting like her. The difference between me and Harper in that situation is that I wouldn't be going on that trip in the first place. <laughs> that, that's, that's the right. difference. Like I, I really value spending time with people that I care about. So I, I don't care about those people. If I'm her, I'm not going to be there. However, if it's a situation where my husband is like, we got to go, like, you just got to do this. 100% of the time I'm telling you is I just know it. I don't know if it's a bad thing or a good thing. I will want to walk away with, even if I didn't like them, them being like, wow, you got a great fucking wife. And, <laughs> you know, to, to her credit, like she doesn't really care if they like her. She's just, she's showing her disgust with them almost openly. I think the difference with me is that 99% of the times I wouldn't put myself in that situation. Although if I were to, my disgust would be masked. Yes. If I'm being honest. Well, maybe that's a fact of of how like Harper and Ethan, to prove the point, like Harper and Ethan don't even like know themselves well enough that like they shouldn't right. be going on this trip. What I think is really interesting also is in the vein of like what aspects of Harper do you relate to or are there aspects? I think what's so crazy is and, and so understandable, by the way, is everybody as the show progresses being like Daphne is the one that has this figured out. She is If you were wondering if ignorance is bliss, like Daphne in a character proves that 100%. Aubrey Plaza, it's not just that she doesn't want to have a good time. It's like she's almost incapable of it. Like she keeps putting herself in these situations where she's like, okay, Ethan, I promise. Like I'm going to be on my best behavior today. Like I want to make an effort. I want them to like you. I want them to like me. And she she just physically can't. Like there's no part of her that like can, can put on that face. Daphne doesn't even need to put on the face. No matter what situation she's in, she will find the way to make it the best for her. Like everyone's life is imploding and she's just getting a massage. Do you think that the kids are the trainer's kids? How did you read that scene? I think at least definitely one of them was. I was so interested that in your, in your Substacker when you were reviewing it, you thought that it was like maybe more open for interpretation because in my mind it was like case closed. So I, at first, I didn't even like get the trainer's kids thing. I thought she was, I didn't get exactly what she was trying to say. I thought she was trying to say, I cheat with my trainer and, but I'm staying for the kids because like the point is like, just find things that fulfill you regardless of your serially cheating husband. Then I read an interview with Daphne that like, she doesn't even really, the actress, not Daphne, that she doesn't even know, it was never said to her whether it's the trainer's kids officially or not. So I think it is technically open for interpretation, but I am now personally like, oh, how could I have missed that? I agree. One of the kids is the trainer's kid, probably. What was interesting to me about that was because I also, when I viewed it, I think I viewed it more similarly to you, Sammy, than, than usually. I was like, yeah, probably, maybe, but I'm not 100% sure. 
it's almost funny how like, let's say that was the case. And a lot of people think that it is. It almost like doesn't matter. Cam and Daphne's relationship is so fucked up and so clearly inauthentic that like, all right. So one of the kids is the traitor's kids. It's not this like massive revelation as it would have been if we were dealing with characters that are so clearly open and honest with one another. Let's talk about something near and dear to our hearts, our furry companions. Life is full of unexpected twists, just like the ones we love to uncover about our favorite celebs. But sometimes those twists involve our four-legged friends. Imagine navigating the unpredictable world of pet parenthood, where every day is a new adventure. Our partner, Spot Pet Insurance, wants to share a message to help make sure you're prepared for any unexpected curveballs, whether it's a sudden illness or an unplanned trip to the vet. Spot Pet Insurance can be your secret weapon against the unexpected. With Spot, you can get up to 90% cash back on eligible vet bills, helping you with those surprising expenses that seem to pop up when you least expect them. But wait, there's more. Spot Pet Insurance plans go beyond just offering coverage for accidents and illnesses. You can enhance your plan with their preventive care benefit, ensuring that routine wellness, vaccines, and more can be covered too. Head over to spotpet.com today to get a quote instantly. Trust us, it's the easiest thing you'll do to help secure the well-being of your dog or cat. Visit www.spotpet.com today. Paid ad from Spot Pet Insurance. Waiting periods, annual deductible, coinsurance, benefit limits, and exclusions may apply. For all terms, visit spotpetins.com slash sample hyphen policy. Insurance plans are underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by Spot Pet Insurance Services, LLC. Okay, so anyone who knows me, and honestly, at this point, anyone who listens to the podcast, because I guess we've just... (laughs) gotten real close around here knows that I do not wear bras. And like, that's not some sort of an over-exaggeration. You can ask any of my friends. I truly do not ever wear bras. However, there have recently been some circumstances where like, I just have to. I've been saying yes to more things. I feel like we've been going to more events and there are just some outfits. I got to do it. And when I tell you I have finally found a bra that makes wearing one bearable. Like I'm never going to be an everyday bra wearer. It's not in the cars for me. But when I have to, the only bras I can wear are skims, which I'll get into the specific ones in a second, but we all know this comes as no surprise. Like I have been an OG diehard skims fan since day one. I am a fan of every single product they make. You know the way I feel about the underwear, the clothes, all of it. But now adding bras to the mix, specifically the Fits Everybody t-shirt bra, because You guys know the way I feel about the Fits Everybody collection. I could talk about that for forever, but specifically the t-shirt bra, it's just so comfortable. I don't know, the straps don't dig into you. It's probably the only bra I've ever worn where when I get home, I'm not like dying to take it off, which I cannot express how massive of a feat that is for someone like me. It's just comfortable and it just does what it needs to do. And I am such a fan, which like no surprise, I love everything Skims makes, but here to confirm the bras are as good as you would think that they are. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A through 46H. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. You know who we didn't even, we didn't even discuss Portia and like her whole, uh, yeah, yeah, existence. Yeah, that really is upsetting to me. It's like the whole, you know, age old, nice guys finish last kind of situation, which hopefully in the end, Albie doesn't. But here is this like sweetheart of a gentleman who just wants to spend, you know, his Italian vacation with you. Meanwhile, you go for this asshole who is so clearly deceiving you in, in every way and deceiving himself. But like people would at that age. Right. Of course. Of course. I think, yes, of course. You're watching this, especially as like, you know, women older than than Portia is and looking back of like, oh, so easy to make that mistake and so wish we could just swoop in and, you know, shift you in the other direction. Her like lostness feels so real to me, but I also just want to like yell at her. Exactly. Well, that's what's interesting is because I think she carries on like she has to like, she has to just like fucking deal with Tanya this whole time. Like, she's like, here's this person. Like, I'm clearly smarter than her. I have to work for her. I have to do what she wants. She's making me stay in my room. Like, like, why do I have to subject myself to this? Meanwhile, you end up in this dangerous situation with this drunk boy in a random hotel in a foreign country that you don't know. And you don't have the wherewithal to be like, I'm going to get the fuck out while he's asleep. What would you do if you were in her situation? Again, I would not be in her situation. <laughs> okay, but like, let's just say, let's just say. I also, no, no. I know, I also wouldn't be in her situation, but I can't help but like 
put myself in the hypothetical. Like, would you leave immediately? Would you stay then? Like, I can't even imagine. I can say with pretty full confidence that I would wait till he was asleep and then I would get the fuck out of Dodge. How? Um, I with don't know. What? I guess it- transport the hotel. Right. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I <laughs> now I'm really going. I'm like, is there Uber there? Like, I, I don't know. I'd ha- I'd have to really figure it out. I just know I there's a higher likelihood that I'm taking a helicopter out of there than I am sleeping in the bed with that man. There's no way there, th- that energy was like. And Julie knows this about me. I am like overly cautious in a way that a lot of times is not rooted in reality. Like it doesn't prevent me from doing things. I just kind of have my guard up a little bit, you know, in certain situations. And this is one where I know I would read that room and be, be really freaked out. Like I I also, there's something so uncomfortable. I know it was only brief, but when they're walking back to the room and like, he's super drunk. And for a moment he gets into that, like tiff with a guy and nothing comes from it. Mm -hmm. To me, that is like one of the most unsettling situations to be in with a guy where now they're not, they're drunk and they feel the need to assert their dominance and their masculinity. And in, in the scheme of it all, they are totally losing sight of protecting you. Like she was the one that was pushing him out of the way. He completely had no regards to her safety in that moment. And to me, noticing a behavior in a guy like that, no, that's it. I'm, I'm out. I'm sure it's probably hard for you to put yourself in the shoes of someone who doesn't have like an extreme moral and like emotional clarity. Like she's seeing, like you would have picked Albie on day one and you'd be like returning to Sicily in three years for your wedding. Like that's like... <laughs> But so would you have <laughs> me not when I was 22, though, like, yeah, right. when I was 27, I would have. But when I was right. 22, you know what? It's hard to say because I also would have probably been too scared to go to like fucking four hours away with this guy. That's and had she even become Tanya's assistant like that. Those are also questions. I What does Tanya need an assistant for? <laughs> Tanya needs an assistant for like what a rich, like a social secretary. It's like, it's like, you know, it's just like what rich people do. But with Portia, like I kept thinking, like, I don't know. I might be too afraid to leave because you're in Italy. You don't speak the language. You're really far from the hotel. Maybe I would have tried to get the white Lotus to pick me up, but Mm -hmm. that could have been the only thing I would have been able to think of. Because she's right. fucking far away. They're like, he took her so far away. It's actually obvious that he was trying to get her away from the party. Right. Her first mistake is when she believed him, when she says, like, I just want to be back, you know, for the party. He's like, yay, we'll be back. Also, her thinking that, like, they were actually going to ever be back for this party when they were hours away is just logistically impossible. Like, has she never planned? She's an assistant. She couldn't figure that out. <laughs> The obvious answer for what Portia should do is to call Albie. Right. The reason that she chose to not like him is because he was too much of a good guy. Like she sized him up right away. He is the nice guy. He'll do anything. Like he is so trustworthy and caring and like harmless, like just completely harmless. And that was the thing that turned her off the most. And so I just feel like if I was her and I've already sized him up to be that guy and I'm in a situation now, I'm like, let me just crawl back to the guy that I know is the safe option. After she told him to have a nice life, you know, or did he tell her that? I don't remember. I don't know, but I feel like she sized him up enough to know that, like, even if she pissed him off, like his whole thing is just like swooping in the wounded bird, taking care of the women that represent like what he couldn't do for his mom. Like, I just and of course, like that's our view as, as the viewer who's able to really understand the character. But I just feel like for her, the whole reason she didn't like him was that understanding of him where it's like she knows like you know what, He's maybe he like, I heard him and he's not going to want to date me, but he'll certainly go out of his way to make sure I don't get murdered tonight. Right. Well, 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 there's two things with that. One is I feel like maybe she doesn't even think of that because she's like written him off as being like with Lucia or whatever. The other thing is that I kind of feel that I don't even think she realizes this. She thinks she doesn't like Albie because he's a nice guy and he's like, you know, boring or whatever. I think that she probably feels like subconsciously not good enough for him. I think she probably feels like, because she kept saying like, oh, the good on paper, like he went to Stanford and like, he's like this rich guy. And she, she, she picked that up obviously. And I think she probably deep down feels that she's not even good enough for a guy who's that good on paper. And I think that's probably like why she 
is like turned off to it because I mean, not only is she just like young and it's like hotter to have the like badass at that age and what she's going through, but I think that she probably feels like I'm not even like at the level for this kind of person. Like, why would he like me? And so therefore it's like, why would I, you know, go with this? Well, the opposite well, of Emma. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. No, I, it's a comic. Look, every you, they wouldn't be in the show. You, If you were in the show, you'd be like the like one that everyone's measuring against for like emotion, you know, for emotional <laughs> mature decisions. So I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, I to your point about that, though, I think that you're you're spot on because like the way that it's being presented to us is that she's just kind of not sexually that into him. Right. And here's this kind of enticing guy. But like if you really, in my opinion, at least if you really deep dive that exactly what you're saying, like if you feel inherently that you are not good enough for this person, of course, your like sexual side isn't going to come out in that way because you only can feel attracted to someone when you also feel that you can be your most like sexual self with them. You can't be your like sexual self with this person when you're already feeling a little bit inferior. It's it's not a good combination. So I totally agree with you that there's a link there and we're just seeing it presented in a different way for sure. Yeah. She just like wanted to be a little mistreated. And yeah. you know what? Everyone has to kind of it's happened to the best of us. Everyone kind of mm. has to, I, I don't want to say you have to, but maybe that's not a good thing. But many women go through that to discover that that's not what they want. Right. I, I mean, the scene that I need to talk about immediately is when they're both at the hotel bar and she's with Jack and Alvi's with Lucia. And, you know, Lucia very quickly knows what's going on because she is world's I would say ahead of Albie in terms of maybe you want to call it her street smarts, her sexual understanding. And so she's like, wait, why are you bowing out already? Two can play this game. And to watch him kind of take this cue from her was to me like fascinating to watch. Not saying it was the best thing to do, but it was also relatively harmless in the scheme of things. And I just felt that he was getting in touch with a side of himself that he like didn't know existed, you know? Yeah, I I kind I think he probably associates like any and all like sexual nuance or like gray area with you're being an asshole and I don't want to be like my dad. But right, right. He wasn't being an asshole to her at all. Um No. No, no it's he wasn't. I like wish we could follow Albie. I mean, I wouldn't want like a spin-off about this, but I wish we could see Albie in like a year after like the effects of uh, sleeping with a very experienced Italian sex worker <laughs> sets in. Do you think that this is him? Do you think this is how he would be regardless? Like this is just his personality? Or do you think this is a massive overcorrection or maybe a combination of both from what he's seen from his dad and grandfather? Because to me, it seems like maybe he could have had, yes, I think in general, he's a pretty like vanilla, you know, straight edge kind of kind guy. But I also think at times maybe his like desire for doing some of these things has been dimmed because he's so consciously aware of not doing that. Totally. I think overcorrection, generational learnings, you know, they obviously that's like a huge thing for Mike White. Like he loves to have that, um, you know, Gen Z perspective that like obviously a lot of viewers are going to see as like too woke. But I think that it's partially an overcorrection. But I also think just sometimes people by nature are just like that. And and part of my reasoning for that is that when Laura Dern, the mom, calls Dom in like one of the first, ep I think it was the first episode, and she like yells at him. And she says something like, he's a sweet, sensitive soul. And I honestly don't know where it came from, which makes me feel that like, okay, maybe he's just like, I feel like that's an objective that you can count that as an objective assessment of him. And that he probably is just like a sweet guy by nature to some extent. I think there's also a role that just like the environment of the generation you're born in plays into this with with him specifically, because obviously so much of it is seeing the contrast and the generational trauma between him and his father. And I also think the time period plays into that so deeply, like with his dad, there was no option where he was going to take what he saw from his father and then turn that into a positive. Like it was strictly, there was even in his mind, even in seeing his son, like the only option for him to see the way that he treated his mom was that like 
he learned how he never learned any other way. And so that was going to be the case. But with Albie, it's like, you know, you have all of these factors of your parents, but we're growing up in a time where external factors play maybe as much of a role as parental factors, whereas the generation previously, external roles didn't nearly have, you know, that much weight on us. And so I think that's also what you're seeing with the I have no idea where it came from in the sense of like, maybe both of his parents are just completely fucked. He was really never given a chance, but because of the environment he grew up in outside of his own home, he's able to really, really internalize what he's learned from his parents and his grandpa. Totally. I mean, he's in the therapy generation, Dom's generation. No one went to therapy. And I I thought that conversation between Dom and Bert was so interesting because like, Mm -hmm. I've totally thought about so much, like, how much can you really blame your parents for? Like, and at what point does that become like pointless or just wrong or like you just have to take responsibility? And I felt that like Dom was actually kind of taking responsibility a little, like a little bit, not as much as he could, but more than like there was an awareness in that conversation that showed like some form of redemption to me. And yeah, I mean, I think Albie is, a lot of people say they think like Albie's going to like be a killer or die. I don't think he's going to have anything to do with either of those, but just my prediction could be totally wrong. The only person that I could see him killing, which tell me if you guys think this is just like the most naive take ever is the guy that Lucia went with when they were on that car ride. Alessio. Yeah. Yes. I could see it. I feel like Alessio is like her friend or her brother or her cousin or her boyfriend. Like he's definitely in my mind, not her pimp. Definitely not her pimp. No. I just didn't know if they have a relationship that isn't, wait, hold on. Let me clarify. Not that it's actually so bad, but that from Albie's naive perspective, it is like, I think that there's totally worlds in which he never knows that it's not really her, her pimp. And he still views it kind of in that way. Oh, yeah. I think he's watching like a sex trafficking documentary in his head about exactly. Lucia's real life. <laughs> and yeah. he's going to be the one that gets to save her. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's kind of how I feel. I am so excited to share this twisted new series with you. From the mind of Tim Burton comes Wednesday Adams only on Netflix. And first of all, this is not a remake or reboot of previous Adams Family projects. It's really a new chapter in the story of Wednesday Adams. So it's a show about Wednesday specifically exploring her journey into adulthood. And it's kind of this supernaturally infused mystery that charts Wednesday's year as a student at Nevermore Academy, where she attempts to both master her emerging psychic ability, thwart a monstrous killing spree that has terrorized the local town, and then also solve the murder mystery that embroiled her parents 25 years ago, all while navigating her new and very tangled relationships at Nevermore. So just as a side note, Nevermore Academy is kind of the backdrop for this story. It's this very unique boarding school. Some notable alumni are Edgar Allan Poe and Morticia Adams, just to name a few. And the show really does have incredible talent that will play iconic characters. Just to name a few, Jenna Ortega is Wednesday, Catherine Zeta-Jones is Morticia, Luis Guzman is Gomez, Fred Armisen is Uncle Fester, Christina Ricci is a teacher at Nevermore Academy, and so many more. Watch Wednesday, a twisted new series from the mind of Tim Burton, out now, only on Netflix. What did you think of the scene when they went to visit Testa del Aqua and encountered these like three angry women? I have been actually a little confused the entire time why like their family has to play a role in all of this. Like I understand like that's okay. That's the reason they're coming to Sicily. But like, I guess what did they expect to happen? I think the interesting part of it, if we're going to dig deeper into like the three of them and their relationship with women and, you know, Bert kind of breaking down afterwards and this idea of like, I always expected there would just be somebody home for me. Like he has this idea of women that there's always just going to be somebody waiting for him. And that was, that was shattered for him. But I do think the most interesting part of that, and I saw a tweet that said like, we finally hit the motif of the season, which was like, what do we need men for? Right, right. I feel that they were their relatives, probably. I don't think I think probably. that's also another thing that's like meant to be open to interpretation, but that they are sort of like representing the 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 flip side of the treatment that the men in the family 
have like inflicted on their like generations of women. They're just like, fuck you. I felt like they probably like recognized them. There was a moment where like all three of their faces were in the doorway and I was just like, oh, they totally like know they're their family, but it was all meant to be very subtle. I also felt that with that, it was sort of like meant to show how naive like I, naive Bert's worldview was like I think this the family reunion thing was really about him like I don't think we would have even had that as a a thread if it were just Dom and Albie together and it makes me wonder if like if Bert will be one of the people who dies at the end of this because that would like almost be necessary to make this arc important kind of mm-hmm. like you, why you, do we you're right like why do we care about his family Right. Is there a sympathy for Bert there? Like, maybe like 5%. You know, like, like I feel a little bad for him, but also it's like, okay, you sort of have this worldview that, like, you could get away with anything. You even still think that you could just walk into this random family's house in rural Italy with no understanding of the language, with no context, and that you're just going to, like, walk in and they're going to be like, oh, you're the DeGrasso's we've been waiting for which don't even get me started on the like last name made a name with it being his mother. It doesn't matter. Um, It's just (laughs) just like, like he thinks that they're all just going to be like, Oh, like where have you been? Right. And I don't know. That's what makes me think maybe he will die because there's like the death of this worldview. But just to clarify, when you're saying his death, do you view that as like, a death of natural causes and then it kind of ties it with a bow versus like he's not him being one of the murders, obviously. Right. I could, I would see it more as like an accidental or natural death. Then I don't see him getting murdered. Like why? No. Why would anyone murder him? The thing with the murders also, which is like (laughs) the main thing with the show is that I feel like when we try to predict the ending or we're trying to come up with who killed who and who could possibly be dead, like, we're going so much based off logic, which is obviously like your natural inclination to do. Like who could possibly die? Who makes the most sense? Who makes the most sense because they make the least sense? Like the way that last season ended with that specific murder was like, you you could have spent your entire life. You could have come up with those characters, but never in a million years would you have been able to come up with how that's going to go down. And so I feel like we can sit here all day and we could probably nail who the murder is going to be, who's going to kill who. I think that the circumstance of how this is going to go down is going to be something that like we're sitting here and we're like, no, never in a million years would I have gone to that conclusion. Right. And that's what I think will actually make the finale really good. Like that's what you want to happen. We want to be surprised. Like I, that's what makes it a good show. Like if we could easily tie every single thing that's happened up till now and then reach the actual conclusion of the show and if we could act accurately predict that like it probably wouldn't be a very good finale because that means that nothing changed and that's what makes it fun it's like as much as you could like become convinced of your own prediction and like maybe you can get threads of it right the fun is not knowing what those like x factors are going to be and that's why it's so fun to talk about because like you can make anything up in your head like within logic but you know, and that's just, oh, that's why it's so good. Cause who it's knows, so like good. what will be the shitting in the suitcase of this season? What do you think with Tanya and the Godfather dress? What do you think the link is there? Or do you think it's just meant to throw us off? Um, I think that it, I think that if anything, so in that frame that everyone shows, it's like, she's saying like, well, where's Portia? I feel like maybe that's meant to be like Portia's in danger. Cause mm-hmm. they're, I immediately, when I saw the two of them leaving in the car, my uh, Jack and Portia, my first thought was, and the way like Quentin's watching them leave, my first thought was like, oh, the Godfather scene, something's up with the car. Quentin, because I don't think Quentin wants like Jack to survive. That's another reason I think Jack might die, because I think Quentin wants Jack to die. And then, because like, why would he want to share his money? And because he thinks he's sharing it with Greg in my mind. Why would he want to give any to uh, Jack and why would he want this guy who like knows about all his shady shit out there? So I think he's going to screw over Jack and then Greg is going to screw over Quentin. And Portia could be just a casualty in that. And a casualty or just like, or she'll maybe like get out of it or she'll like save the day or like she'll be in the car, but she'll be okay. 
those are the fun X factors that we don't we don't right. get to know. The good news about this is that we're talking about this on Wednesday and we will know for a fact on Sunday. Like this is not a, you know, we're a few weeks out here thing. This would, it's not the kind of thing I, I don't think I'd have the patience to wait much longer for. Oh, for sure. But the fact that they did drop it weekly, I think it it actually creates the community around it. That's how I felt about the undoing. I was going to say that was, yeah, totally. Like huge undoing energy in that regard. The, the weekly episode drops, like the undoing, euphoria, like that sense of camaraderie and discussion and analyzing, like it can't come from a binge watch. Like you can't drop eight episodes. We can all be addicted. We can all be discussing it. We can, it can be the number one show on Netflix, but like you will never get that same level of what we've all experienced. I think White Lotus maybe being the best example because there's so much more to analyze there. Like with Euphoria, we all had our little predictions and we all had our things we thought and we're also like, Rue, you owe fucking so much money to this <laughs> drug dealer. But like, we're not sitting here being like, what do you think the motif is here? And what do you think the like, like we all get to be in an English class that's actually enjoyable. Like I remember when you were in English and it was like, I don't want to act like I care that much about like the green light and gas people. Like I kind of fucking want to talk about it. That's how I feel watching White Lotus. Like I finally get to be like, you know what? Like maybe the author, maybe Mike White, like didn't mean something here and I'm not going to sound crazy for saying it. Oh, totally. It's like watching a book. That's what I call right. these shows. And the, un the undoing, I feel like is more like this because of the subtlety. And then euphoria is more like, I imagine succession will be where it's like, what is going to happen in the plot? And yes. You know, you're not like looking at each frame for clues. Like I pause this show so I can examine the background and it takes me like probably an extra 20 minutes to watch the episode the first time. And I'm like, shit, like people are texting me now. Like, stop telling me what's going to happen. <laughs> I'm behind. Um, but, but to your point, I agree. Like HBO is doing such a, a service to humanity. By, yes. <laughs> you don't realize how many friendships they're creating, how much like... Because to talk about something that's just like, it's not contentious for any consequence. Like you can argue, you can, you know, you can debate this and it's like, it doesn't actually hurt anyone, which right. is so right. great. I mean, the way that you feel about HBO is the way that we feel about you and specifically oh, the way that I feel it. about, no, I'm serious. <laughs> specifically the way that I feel about you, because I know for a hundred percent fact, like if it wasn't for your recaps and the way that you talk about it. I would still have watched probably, but I would not have had the enthusiasm about watching. And both of you, I have to thank for that. And I really appreciate it. And like, Sammy, just having you come on is so fun, really seriously so full circle. And I just, I'm so grateful to you and what you bring to the internet and the intelligence and the humor and just everything. It's It's been really inspiring watching the way that you guys have built Betches into this like massive company in the most... I think still so rooted in friendship way. And it's something that we take a lot of inspiration from. Thank you. It is entirely mutual. I feel the same way about you guys. Like I love that you, I mean, just to, in the, in the era of influencers where it is like so easy to just like get all of your like serotonin from like attention and glory on the internet. Like, I feel like you have done such a great job of really making it about the content and not about yourselves and, you know, not that, not that, oh, I wouldn't want you to make it about yourselves because I feel like <laughs> you guys are great. But I think that it's like you have just such like a smart, you're, you know, you're the Albi instead of the Porsche. Like, you know, you have a, a, a forward thinking, smart. Well, you know, I mean, honestly, I wouldn't even compare you to Albi, but you. Aubrey. <laughs> Aubrey. Yeah. Like you're thinking about like the implications beyond just like, what am I doing this second? Like, what am I putting out this day? It's like, do I want this to be something that comes out of my mouth. And, you know, I wish I did that even more when I was younger, to be honest. And I really admire that you guys have been doing that since the beginning. Oh, um, it's totally mutual. Thank I you. think uh, like you are you. a great example of like one of the great things about the internet. So I'm thrilled that we get to talk about this. Uh, I really, <laughs> I will come back anytime. Even the Substack, I just like I was writing notes on my phone for no one. Like I was like, why am I writing this? Who am I do? Who am I doing this for? And then I like put it on Instagram, and I was like, I don't want this to disappear. I'm gonna like, put this somewhere. So, you know, Thank it really God comes out of like pure <laughs> hobby. But and you can tell no. it's, it's it's wrapped in a lot of enjoyment. Before you go, and we have like one minute left, I just want you to tell anyone who doesn't know about morning announcements because it's 
honestly such a great and informative thing that you're doing. And I really want you to share that. Thank you. So, I mean, I'm incredibly passionate, not just about um, this type of TV show, but I am an incredible, incredibly passionate news watcher. Um, you know, I, you know, get really into obviously like following elections. So, you know, I, one of the projects I started at Betches was the Betches Sup, which is our news and politics vertical. You can follow that on Instagram. And for the past two years, almost full two years, I've been hosting a daily news rundown in the morning. It's five minutes. It's basically like I run down the headlines, I explain what's going on, the most important stories of the day. And then I add some commentary, snarky, biased, liberal commentary. So that's what you're in store for. Um, And yeah, it is just a quick, easy way to get updated with a perspective. So yeah, I mean, I was definitely, you know, it's a fun time. Morning announcements every day. It's, you know, keeps you, keeps you in the know. It's a great way to get the news. I I, I love it. Like I'm, I'm Thank really you. a huge fan of it and I appreciate you doing it and appreciate you being here and we just adore you. And thank you. We're so excited for this episode to come out and thank you all for, for listening. All of Sammy's information will be in the description.